Well, hello, all you beautiful land lovers, future farmer dreamers. Today, we take a deep dive into another farmer's world. I'm interviewing cattleman Patrick Bookman, who breeds and raises Wagyu cattle in central Ohio. He lives a dual life, working off-farm while still in the startup phase of his life's passion, producing superior-tasting Wagyu beef. So if you ever thought about sitting on your own porch and enjoying the view of your own cattle someday, this is the show for you, because it's within your own reach. I'm Judith Farrell Horvath, shepherdess and owner of Fairhill Farm in Central Ohio. My family's journey started with illegal backyard chickens in suburbia while still at my white collar job. We were finally busted, so our family made the leap to farm life. We've been farming for 10 years now and we are still at it, and yes, is it worth it? Today, not only do we make kick-ass goat milk, shampoo bars, and soaps, but we do small farm planning, consulting, webinars, classes, and we breed our own Katahdin hair sheep and dairy goats, and a lot, lot more. You'll hear about the experience of the startup and conquering the learning curve that goes with adopting a farm-fresh lifestyle, because we've been there. My mission is to help you accelerate the process and sidestep avoidable errors and unnecessary costs or losses as you build your own farm life. I talk with others who have made that leap to farming, and they tell their stories for your enjoyment as well. And now, enjoy the interview. Welcome, Patrick. It is nice to meet you. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. So could you tell the audience about your cattle? company, your beef company? What What is the name yeah. of your company and what do you do? And just give us a feel for who you are and what you do and what you're up to and what's your mission? Yeah, definitely. So um, about 2021 is when we officially kicked things off. Um, we, we decided that we wanted to uh, get into the Wagyu breeding, um, Wagyu cattle business. Um, and, and that consists of me and both my brothers and, and my dad. Um, you know, it, it was one of those things that I think I first heard about Wagyu cattle. It was probably 2015. Um, and the more we talked about it, and I, I actually heard about it from my grandfather who was saying, you know, there's this breed of cattle out there that you can make, you know, double the amount of money that you're making, you know, that producers are seeing on, you know, their average Angus or Charlays or Herefords or whatever beef, you know, breed you're looking at. So, um, we, we decided, we talked about it more and more, my wife and I, and, uh, my daughter, we, we lived in a small apartment in Pickerington in 2020. And we had this farm come available out in Stoutsville in 2021. We jumped on it and, uh, we have just under 16 acres here. Um, and one day, like I said, we kind of just sat down. We're like, you know, cause I'm actually, I'm a grant funded individual for Columbus state community college. Um, and at that time, my grant funding was getting ready to run out and we were talking, you know, what, what's the next step? What does, what's my job look like? And it was, you know, my wife said, well, what, you know, we've talked about doing the cows. Um, why not, you know, look into this a little bit deeper. And so, uh, we had a family meeting and, uh, we decided to kind of jump in both feet. So we, um, we, we breed and, and raise Wagyu cattle, um, we do a little bit of everything as far as either feeding out steers. Um, we, we actually uh, just purchased a flush heifer, um, and I can talk more about what that is. 
um, out of New Hampshire. She's coming in a little bit, uh, May, June timeframe. Um, selling bulls. I mean, we're doing the whole nine yards selling semen. I mean, we, we recently just shipped uh, a few semen straws to Missouri. So we, we're starting to kind of build ourselves out and get to a point where, um, you know, we're, we're selling things around the United States, which is where we'd like to be. Okay. So this is interesting to me. So you went from an apartment to a 16 acre farm. You just decided to do this. Did you have prior generational knowledge or a family experience with cattle well not with cattle as much actually so i grew up um in nelsonville ohio uh down by athens my my grandpa and my dad broke um cutting horses so they were they were always training and breaking cutting horses so i was around that around cattle from the from the horse side of things more or less um and then as we dove deeper into it my grandpa when i was in college he ended up um he bought a few cows. It was a great, great thing. He turned them over real quickly and he enjoyed it. They were just Angus cows. Um, but I loved that. I, I was going to OU at the time and I was around it. Um, and so when this opportunity came available to purchase this farm out here, it was like, you know, it's kind of an opportunity for me to get back to, you know, where I'm, where my roots were. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, we didn't have a whole lot of hands-on cattle, uh, cattle knowledge, but, um, that, that kind of hasn't been the type of thing to scare me in the past. So I, I enjoyed jumping in, you know, both feet. So what about your wife and kids? How old were your kids when you made this move? So my daughter, she's six now. Um, so she'd have been four then my son, uh, he'll be two in July. And then we have another one coming in April. So lots of uh you know, we're just adding to adding to the crew and uh they love it i mean they it, it's a real it's been a really cool experience um so far i mean my daughter gets to go out in the summer and her bare feet and love on cows and my son you know that's the one of the first sounds he made was you know his moves uh calling to the cows and it, my wife my wife went to pickerington north high school and so she was not around any of this um, so this has been a little bit of a, uh, a, of a different direction than I think she anticipated her life going, but she's been fantastic. Um, so yeah, it, it's been fun. Yeah, it really has been a great experience so far. So, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but 16 acres is not your typical size cattle station, ranch, farm. So how are you making a go of this on such a um, and these are big animals, right? So how, how are you making a go of this on the 16 acre piece of land? Yeah. So it, it's interesting when we sat down and decided that we wanted to not, I mean, it, you know, it's not only purchasing cattle, it's okay. We want to make a business out of this. Yeah. We decided that, you know, the more, the more research I did into it, you can go for quantity or you can go for quality. Um, and one of the things that we have going for us here is Wagyu don't need, you know, if we were raising, for instance, longhorns, longhorns will eat down every blade of grass you have within a 300 mile radius. Whereas Wagyu, you can pack in a bunch of cows and they really just need good hay, good uh, protein, mineral feed, you know, all of that. They don't need a lot of area. So that was a, you know, that was one factor that we kind of, you know, that, that played into it as far as what breed we were going to go with. But, you know, 
because of that, it, it made it so we sat back and said, all right, well, if we're not going to have 300 head of cattle out here, let's go for the absolute best. Um, so that that kind of start, started my obsession with uh, the genetic piece of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I've been in contact with guys all over the United States. I, I speak with my wife makes fun of me because I'm always up late because I'm talking to guys in Australia and there's the time difference there between the United States and Australia. Um, and I talk to people in the UK, um, South Africa, and really it's just to gather a, a better knowledge of where these genetics are, what trends they're seeing and where it's going. Um, and that's been part of what we've tried to implement here. I mean, if you, nobody says, oh yeah, Stoutsville, Ohio, that is the Mecca of Wagyu cattle, but you know, we want it, we want to get there. Um, you know, I, we, we sit here and talk all the time and, and I, I'm always saying, you know, wait, wait till you see where we are in five years, wait till you see where we are in 10 years, because at that point, you know, we'll, we'll have implemented enough of these, you know, top tier genetics. I mean, we, we've purchased several genetic lines, um, semen straws and embryos that are um, out of Australia um, from major, major producers. And um, yeah, we, we just decided if we were going to do it, we we're going to do the best. Okay. So this is very impressive. And now you're two years out, but when you started you didn't really, it sounds like you didn't really know too much about it. So what was that spin up time like? And actually let's, yeah. What was that spin up time? And can you tell me um, how you settled on Wagyu? Like, I'm sure there's plenty of people listening to this who don't know what Wagyu is. I learned one year ago. So yeah. So first talk about Wagyu and then can you talk about the spin up process? Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of people, you know, it's kind of, it's interesting. Wagyu's only been around, I, I did the math earlier, 47 years in the United States. So it's, it's yeah. new. Um, and so bulls were first imported in 1976. Um, and Wagyu, it, it, they come, I mean, it, it, the term Wagyu, Wa means Japanese and Gyu means cow. Um, so they're Japanese cattle. Um exported from Japan. Um, and, and like I said, those bulls got here in 76 and they didn't start actually bringing in females until 1992. Um, so a lot of the driving force and still to this, still to today is the, the bull population in the United States. You know, everybody's looking for a better, um, stake. Everybody's looking to produce better carcasses. You get more money out of that. Um, Wagyu, they have a genetic disposition, and I I made up a a quick cheat sheet so I could uh, list this out to you appropriately. So they they have, it's more, it's a Delta 9 desaturate gene, but it's called, and it's more heightened in Wagyu. And essentially, it produces enzyme that takes steric acid and it converts it into an oleic acid, which is an unsaturated fat. Um, so with that, you get those omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids, similar to what you get in an like avocado, right? The healthy fats. Um, and because of that, they it takes more time for you to feed out a Wagyu cow. So if you cross a Wagyu cow or a, a Wagyu bull with an Angus cow, it's still going to take you about 24 months to feed that animal out till it's ready to be butchered. But during that time, because of its genetic disposition, instead of 
the fat building up around the outside of the steak, you actually get that intramuscular marbling um, that Wagyu is known for. Um, so that's more or less um, what you're getting in Wagyu. A lot of people have heard, you know, many different stories of what Wagyu is. You know, they heard that the Japanese kept them in stalls and, and gave them beer to really relax them. And they massaged them. Yeah. The whole nine yards. Oh, and, you know, my wife, she's got family who are like, you know, does your husband go out there and massage those cows? <laughs> I don't do that, you know, but um, we do try to keep it very, very calm and relaxed for them. But um, they are a generally um, easygoing breed. I mean, you know, they, we we've we just sold our uh, a bull who um, we had him up until he was about 18 months. You know, bulls are known for, you know, there's all that testosterone and, you know, pumping constantly. I mean, he was as easygoing as, you know, you could ask for and just, you know, they're safer. And obviously people know him for producing, you know, better steaks. But there's there's a lot of things with Wagyu as far as even um you know, what it's, what calving is like in them. Um, we've had, we have a bunch of heifers out here that are dropping calves. We haven't had to assist any births, anything like that, because they have a generally low birth weight. Um, I mean, I, I'm eating up with it and, you know, it, it, I'm completely sold on this being the premier breed of cattle in the industry right now. Wow. So how is Wagyu different than Kobe? So it's essentially it's the same, but you're not allowed to call Wagyu beef anywhere outside of Japan. You you have to call it American Wagyu, Australian Wagyu. Kobe beef comes from the Kobe region of Japan. Oh, got it. But yeah. it's the same genetic origins, but correct. It's not yeah. the original stock. Okay, that makes sense. Correct. So yeah. yeah, okay. So so tell me about the start. You your your grant is running out. You're living in an apartment. You decide you're going to do cows. You decide you're going to do Wagyu beef. So what was that like for you and your wife? I mean, if she didn't grow up around animals, I mean, the handling equipment, the the have to give a shot. I mean, like the whole lifestyle, what is that uptake? What was that like? It, it, it was different for, I mean, and she handled it like a champ. I mean, don't get me wrong. She, um, she took it in stride, but there, I mean, there was, you know, when, when I go to her and I say, okay, there's a, you know, we, we, and, and I'm willing to talk about prices and all of that stuff on here too. Mm-hmm. You know, we purchased our bull calf for $4,000. Mm-hmm. And when I said to her, this calf is $4,000 and he was four months old at the time, you know, her eyes, her eyes got this big and she's like, you know, that could get struck by lightning and die tomorrow. And we're out $4,000, you know? And and I will say, like I said, I go in with all of this on my family and and to get started, especially with where the economy is right now, you kind of need a little bit of help. So it's been nice that we've all been able to chip in and build this up together. But, um, yeah, you know, when we decided we were we were moving forward with it, um, it was interesting. We started building fences. So this property's uh, we love where we live. It's uh, it's kind of tucked back. The, there's not really anyone behind us. We have a big, beautiful barn out here, but we had no fence. Mm-hmm. So you know, we're sinking you know thousands of dollars into building fence. We're building it all ourselves. Um, it butted up right to where my son was due. So we were 
at that point where we're getting ready to get our bull. The baby's coming. We got to finish the fence. It was a little bit of chaos there, but um, yeah, we, you know, we decided, like I said, if we're going to do this, let's get the best. So, um, you know, I got on the phone with a lot of breeders um, all over the country. Um, a good uh, a guy that we ended up purchasing him from is out of Ashland, Ohio, actually. Um, he breeds Wagyu on a small scale like us um, and had a good, good little bull calf, the one that we ended up purchasing. Um, great genetics on him. He, he came from what they call a foundation pedigree, which is, um, you know, his dad was a, one of the bulls that came over from Japan. His mom was sired by a bull that came over from Japan. So they called it foundation pedigree. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and then it was, we're off and running. We started buying up. We've crossed everything with, um, with Angus so far. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we started using some embryos as well. Um, so what you do with embryos, you reach out to these guys who have these cows that they flush um, embryos from. And these are, you know, fertilized embryos, you freeze them and then you put them in your cows. So um, we have a couple of those coming and um, then it's kind of off to the races and we're going to start getting after it a little bit. Wow. So what does a, are you still work? Is it you purely on farm income or are you doing a, a dual, a dual life? I'm, right now? I'm doing dual. So um, okay. I, I manage grant projects at Columbus State Community College. Um, I also teach some classes there, here and there. Um, but the, the goal is to do this full time. So it's, um, you know, we're, we're taking it very seriously. And like I said, we, like, I mean, you, like you said, we don't have a ton of room here, so we we're trying to breed the best, um, you know, to, to make the most money out of this. And, uh, we're, we're excited about the direction it's going. Wow. So you think you're going to be able to make that move into full-time farming? I mean, you know, that's the dream, but does it look like in two years in, does it look, does it look like that's might be possible? We, I, that's, yeah, we, we kind of think that with the direction it's going, you know, embryos on, on Wagyu cattle can sell for anywhere from $300 an embryo to $1,200 an embryo, depending on how well you breed those forward. Um, you know, bulls, mature bulls can sell anywhere from eight to $12,000. Um, so, you know, and, and heifers are more heifers. You can, you know, the, the guy in New Hampshire we purchased from, he's one of the industry leaders in the United States. Um, you know, we purchased her for, uh, she was a little expensive, but he's got some that are $20,000, $30,000 cows. So um, it, it's a lot of people are like, you know, it's kind of a niche market. Yeah. But once you get into it and you see these guys who are breeding on a grand scale, um, it's impressive. So we're, we're excited about it. It, it does look like you know, down the line, that, that could be a move that we're going to make. Um, but, you know, we got to get there first. So on your farm, do you guys raise anything else except just the beef cows? I mean, just for your family, for your own consumption? Um, yeah, well, we've, we've got, we've got a bunch of chickens out here. Um, that, that was my daughter's, uh, my, my daughter really wanted some chickens. So she and I went to the store and my wife thought we were getting about 10 chickens and we came back with about 40. And, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, when, when, when your daughter looks at you with those big, you know, big, beautiful eyes, you just, okay, mm-hmm. let's get 40. So yeah, we do that. Um, we had goats for a little while and that was, that was something, um, <laughs> 
the goats didn't last too long, but yeah, wow. just most mostly the cows and chickens is is the route we're going right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, talk to me about why you decided to go into cattle. Of all the things you could do, why did you feel? Why would, would you feel drawn to cattle? What what was it that made you zero in on cattle and then wagyu? Well, yeah. we talked about the, the lucrative venture and the specialty, but why cattle? Right. Um, you know, like I said, when, when my grandfather first purchased um, and I got to work with them on a daily basis and being being around, there is something I just loved about it. And then it was, it, you know, it wasn't until we started looking into more of, like you said, like the, the lucrative aspect of it that we realized we could make some money on this. Um, the, that lured me in. But Truth be told, you know, I I was big into coaching football. I coached high school football when my when my college football career ended. And I loved the strategy piece of coaching. And it sounds kind of silly, but you know, when you get into when you get into the genetics piece of cattle it becomes a strategy thing. You're looking at this cow and you're saying there's great growth on that. Okay. Well, we should, you know, we should pair that with something that produces great marbling, try to get a great balance between the two. And then you can breed that forward to this. And that eats me up. I, I sit around, I spend a lot of time, you know, pairing up different bulls with our cows and, and what that's going to look like, um, what we're expecting. And then, you know, what you can breed to that two, three, four generations down the line. Um, so yeah, the strategizing piece around that I enjoy. Um, also, you know, cows are very peaceful. I mean, and, and you get to, you know, there's there's something to be said with about being able to live out here and just enjoy your animals. And, and we do that. Uh, you know, my dad jokes all the time that one of his favorite things to do is just come over and pull up a chair and sit and watch the cows. It's true. I mean, we got some very relaxing cows. It's one of our favorite things just to be around them. Um, you know, we got these calves running around, chasing each other, kicking and running. My kids think, you know, it's hilarious. And, you know, we, we love it. So it's funny you mentioned that because um, one of my favorite things to do is when the weather is nice, sit on my front deck, pull up a chair, and watch what I call the sheep channel. Yep. It's the best. Yeah. Yeah. It's the best. My wife makes fun of me because I, so something funny that we do, my daughter gives all of our cows um, old lady names. So we have (laughs) Darlene out there and Lucinda and all these silly names, but you know, I can, my wife makes fun of me because I can look way down, you know, down the pasture and I know exactly who each one is. And I mean, they all have their own little personalities. It's great. So I get it. The sheep channel, the cow channel, it's, it's yeah. the best place to tune in. So. <laughs> so do your students at the university know that you're a farmer on the weekends? Um, some, some have. Yeah. So, you know, we'll do like a little introduction thing at the beginning of the semester and, you know, tell me about yourself. And, you know, so, so yeah, some of them are like, Wagyu cattle. I didn't even know there were Wagyu in Ohio and stuff yeah. like that. So it's always cool to you know reach your students on a personal level. And uh, I've had some that have been very interested. Some follow our Facebook page, which has been cool. So yeah, it's neat. Yeah. So um, do you think that the small scale farming is 
a fad or do you think there's actually some potential for uh, food production through this this model? Yeah, I, I think both. Uh, you know, I think that a lot of people get into it because they have a little bit of land and they just want to put some animals on that. And I think that's great. I, I think if you've got it, use it. Um, you know, for us, we've jumped around quite a bit, actually. You know, when we started this, it was we're going to be beef producers and we're going to produce the best beef around here. When you factor in the prices of feed and, you know, everything else, I don't know that you're necessarily going to make as much as, you know, what that final dollar amount is in your mind. So, you know, if you think you're going to make $6,000 on a carcass, you need to factor in how much feed costs, how much your protein, your minerals cost, and that's going to dwindle it exponentially. Um, you know, for us, it was, okay, well, if you're selling genetics, it's a different story. Um, if you're selling, you know, if like, for instance, my friend that we purchased our bull off of, I think he's got six cows right now. He's got one that he's made $40,000 off of in the last year. So because he's selling embryos, you know, selling offspring of hers that, you know, he might, might not necessarily work into his program. Um, so that's kind of where we sat. We said, okay, well, you know, we can sit here, we can feed everything out and have, you know, minimal margin of difference in, in you know, what we make at the end, or we can produce some of the, you know, better Wagyu cattle in, you know, in the Midwest and, and, and branch our way out a little bit and see where that goes from there. Um, you know, when, when we sold our last bull, it was, it was amazing. I think I had over 50 people reach out to me all across the United States, Texas, Montana. Um, and, you know, because of just the difference that having Wagyu in your herd can make. Um, so these big, you know, big beef producers who live out in Texas and have 4,000 acres and, you know, all these cattle, you know, they can throw multiple bulls out there and it produces a better brand of beef. So for some, yeah, like back to your question, someone like us, whereas we can't maybe run 300 head of cattle here to, to you know, run a business feeding them out, we can, you know, su supply those big time producers with some of the top genetics out there. Um, and if that's our way to do it, we're going to roll with it. Um, now, that being said, you know, any of these steer, any of these bull calves we get off of um, our Angus mamas um, crossed with our bull, you know, we're steering them and we're going to feed them out. We'll keep some of that beef and we'll, we'll sell some of it as well. Um, but any heifer calves, you know, out of those, they're going to be thrown into our reset program. So we'll put embryos in them down the line if they take great, we'll keep using them for that. If not, we'll either sell them or they'll go into our feedlot as well. Wow. Okay. So what would you consider to be uh, a sunk cost or like um, a, a monetary error that you made that you would advise people who are getting into cattle um, to look out for? Yeah, I would just say, do your research on, I mean, do your research on everything, you know, especially now we did we didn't make this mistake, but we've come close. And I know a lot of people kind of made this mistake. You know, when you're looking into the genetic side of things, that pedigree is very important. Um, you want as close to a foundation, if not a foundation pedigree as possible, because 
the further you get away from that, you know, when you get six and seven and eight generations from that bull that came from Australia, or excuse me, from Japan, you kind of are starting to dilute that pedigree a little bit and you're just lessening your, your, the worth of that animal. Um, Australia recently came out with a new, um, a new way of grading out animals um, for EPVs, which is, or EBVs, which is estimated breed values. Um, that helps a lot because it kind of separates, you know, what's top tier and what's just, you know, middle of the pack kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that is crucial that at least in our end of things, you know, in our world of Wagyu, that is absolutely crucial. Um, if someone sees that pedigree and, you know, you have some diluted animal in the, anywhere in that pedigree, you know, we're throwing it out the window. I'm not interested anymore. Um, I would say as far as mistakes we made, you know, we have recently, we've gone back over and over and over fixing our fence. Um, we invested in a lot of woven wire, which is great until a cow decides they're sick of it and they want to run through it. So we have reinvested in, um, you know, hot wire and everything's electric, uh, electric and then barbed wire. Um, so, you know, if, if anyone's deciding that they're going to start, just go with the barbed wire as well. <laughs> that would be my recommendation to wow. anybody. Um, you know, like, you know, in the spring when all that sweet grass is coming up and, and they can smell it on the other side, there's not a lot stopping them. So having something, some kind of deterrent uh, uh, would be helpful for sure. <laughs> so do you do rotational grazing with your, with your cows? Yeah, so that's the plan. So we have, uh, we're, we're getting ready to finish our backfield here, um, which will save our front field up here so much. Um, you know, we've had them on there for two years now. And as you know, it, yeah, it just, it takes a beating. It, it turns to mud. We're getting ready to have a lot of that, um, a lot of that area concreted, to, you know, for holding pens. Um, but yeah, the plan is we'll put them, we'll, we'll start implementing a rotational grazing, um, procedure here. And I think that'll make a world of difference. I mean, we've been talking about that constantly for the last few months is just having the opportunity to let that grass rest. Um, cause if they got grass, that means that we're not having to buy more hay. So, um, yeah, that, that's the plan. That's good. That's good. So what kind of struggles and challenges do you deal with when it comes to cattle? Like what, but what, what does a cattleman worry about in 2023? Um, you know, I mean, there's a lot. Um, the one thing we have going for us is this is kind of a niche market right now. So, you know, when we're, you know, if we're seeking funding from the farm service agency, you know, they can tell you down to the penny, you know, what, uh, what your Angus is going to come, what, what you're going to make on that Angus cap. They can't tell you what's going to happen in Wagyu because it is such a niche market. Um, but, you know, here, like I said, we started off with nothing. My wife and I uh, came from a, came from an apartment. And so, you know, we don't have a lot of equipment. My, uh, you know, I've got a two wheel drive tractor, which is great when everything is dry. Um, when it's not dry, you can drive past uh, the farm here and you can see me and my brothers and my dad rolling round bales out, pushing them out there by hand. Um, so, you know, that it, it can be rough. Um, you know, we just 
it's been a constant of us trying to catch up with things. Um, you know, babies are dropping and we, you know, go throw some panels together and put a stall together for them in the, in the barn. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, we joke all the time, you know, what, what are we going to do when this fence is done? Well, we're gonna, probably going to go back and fix other parts of the fence. And, you know, then after that, what are we going to do? Well, we're probably going to go make more alterations to the barn. I mean, it's never ending. Um, but yeah, I would just say like for us in particular, our lack of equipment has, it's been difficult. Um, so it, it will be considered a huge luxury when we get to that point where we can invest in a, you know, four wheel drive tractor and, you know, some other things that make life a little bit easier. That's cool. That's, that's, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so talk to me a little bit about the beef market in the United States. Now, I know that you're not directly in it. You're not selling directly to auction or anything like that, but there is so much talk on the beef market and how the bottom fell out of it and farmers aren't making anything, but it costs more in the grocery store. So a lot of everyday people who get their food from the grocery store, they're sort of mystified by these high prices and then farmers saying they're not able to make any money, what would you say to them to help them understand the bigger picture of why their food costs so much and why farmers are not making any money? Well, I mean, yeah, feed costs are through the roof right now. Feed costs are absolutely incredible. Corn is incredibly high. I mean, you know, down to the, to the smallest ingredient that you're going to mix into that feed ration. Um, I would say to them that they should come to us instead. <laughs> um, I, uh, you know, I, I, the more that I look into it, you know, because, because of, you know, the way the Wagyu marbles and, you know, I don't know if you've ever had a Wagyu steak. It, it's very buttery um, because of that intramuscular marbling. And, you know, if you have a good Wagyu steak, it, it'll just about melt in your mouth. I mean, the term melt in your mouth is legitimate in this case. And, you know, when you go to the store and you look at the cost of a ribeye and it's, you know, $33 or something like that. And I can look at that ribeye and tell you that it's nothing exciting, you know, or, and there's no, no marbling in there whatsoever. You could come to us for $33 and get something that's going to taste a lot better and be a lot healthier. You know, the, one of the major issues in Wagyu right now is people can market Wagyu without telling you how much Wagyu is actually in that steak. Oh, so, no. so if you go to Kroger and you, you know, cause um, I know that, that the Kroger local to us, they sell Wagyu, but you know, that Wagyu could be, that Wagyu could be 99% Wagyu or it could be 5% Wagyu. And I'm telling you, if you're buying it at Kroger, it's not 99% Wagyu. So, <laughs> um, you know, that's that's one of the big issues. And I know a lot of people um, involved in the breed are trying to get restrictions on that. Um, what we'll have available will be 50% Wagyu right off the bat. We're going to get to the point where we're steering out some full-blooded calves. Um, but because the demand for bulls is so high right now, um, I'm not necessarily sure we're going to jump into that right off the bat. Um, and like, like we're, you know, saying feed costs are so expensive. Um, the one nice thing about Wagyu is they are very feed efficient. Um, you know, that, that meat is being accumulated over time because they can handle their grain a lot better than maybe other breeds do. So that is one nice piece to it, but 
Um, yeah, I, I would say, you know, local farmers, you know, it, they put a lot of work into this. They, they, I mean, this is, this is what they do. Now I know I have another job, but a lot of these guys don't and they're pouring their blood, sweat and tears into this. And the fact of the matter is if you want to know where your food's coming from, everybody wants to know where their food's coming from. You know, you, you can, you can buy it from a major distributor and not know what that animal went through, or you can buy it from the guy down the road who has raised that cow, you know, fed it out and, and gotten it to, you know, to your plate. Um, you know, something that we do a lot of, we actually, um, we partner with local breweries. Um, and after they've brewed their beer, we take the grain from them and we actually feed that to our cows. Um, it gives them a lot of extra protein um, for our mamas that are, that are milking and, you know, feeding their babies that, that helps that energy continue to flow. So um, yeah, I would just say that, you know, find someone local because they're everywhere. Um, if, if both of them got to make the, make the feed bill, you know, give it to the guy that's going to, you know, put that cow in the, put that cow in the right position to give you a, a good, and end game, you know. Okay. So what did you find to be the most natural and easy thing to learn about being a cattleman? The most natural. Uh, so I, hmm, that's a good question. You know, being around animals, you know, we, we, I guess I would say that, you know, I, I grew up around the cattle from a horse perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, and so working cattle, I mean, I was, I first started working cattle, I was riding on a Shetland pony, uh, running cattle drives with my dad and my grandpa. So, it was really, you know, I still have those memories. I was a little boy, I was in kindergarten, first grade, you know, all the way up until I really got into sports. Um, and so, you know, you kind of gain an understanding of what, you know, how cows think and move and, and interact and all of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, most naturally though, I, I would say would be more on the, on the actual um, breeding side of things. You know, like I said, it's, it, it, it all makes sense, right? You don't want to pair a, a big, you know, a big growth bull to a, a, a heavy growth cow. What you're going to have is a bunch of calves that you can't, you know, they can't give birth to these calves because their birth weight's too high. You know, so there's a lot of, finding that happy medium, finding that balance. Um, and I, I think that, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of complication that goes into figuring what you want to do and what, what is going to give you the perfect, um, perfect cow, not the perfect cow, but you know what I mean in the end. Um, but it's also kind of common sense at the same time. That makes sense. That makes sense. So what, um, what is your favorite piece of gear that you have that you can't live without? Favorite piece of gear? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's equipment or? Uh, right now, it's my, honestly, you know, it's my truck. And, and right, right before, right before Christmas, my truck engine blew up. Okay. And so I was without a truck, you know, so we don't have much, much equipment already. And then my truck goes out. But I'll tell you what, I have pulled hay bales all over the place with that truck. You know, I've got a big cattle guard on the front of it. So I've pushed hay bales in with it. Um, that's been huge, but I, you know, we do everything, all of our AI work, all of our embryo, embryo transfers um, is through a head shoot. And we lucked out exponentially when we started this thing. 
Um, there was an older family who had been in the cattle business for 40 years and they were getting out and they were able to sell it to us for a, a very good price, um, which was fantastic. And they were happy to see, you know, a young group that was going to, you know, carry on with it. But that's been the biggest piece, because if not, I mean, we wouldn't be able to do any of this. Yeah. So having that has been huge. Yeah, that handling equipment is expensive and it is it's immeasurably important yeah. to care for an animal. Yeah. So yeah. Have you had any um, have you had any veterinary emergencies that have surprised you? You know, not too many. Um, surprisingly, you know, as far as calving's gone, everything's been fantastic. Um, you know, that, that's been one of our big selling points on that bull. Um, you know, we still sell his, his semen straws all over the country. And it's, you know, he's, you have a lot of unassisted calves coming from first time calving moms. So that's been great. But I think really the biggest ones, um, you know, when feeding that brewer's grain that we pick up from these breweries, it's very wet. Um, and cows need a lot of dry matter to combat that that um, mash uh, almost. So what happens is you get an aggressive cow in there. And I was actually talking to a buddy of mine in Texas about this recently. Um, but you'll get an aggressive cow or two in there that'll push those other cows out. And what happens to them is they essentially they'll bloat up really badly. And then, yeah, then they're not eating, they're not drinking, they're sick. Um, he, he runs, I think it's like 400 head of Wagyu in tech outside of Austin, Texas. He had like 26 cows die because he overfed them brewer's grain. So there is definitely a, a tight line. You need to walk with it, but um, you know, if you feed it in moderation, you're, you're fine. So we had a couple get a little bit bloated, but I mean, truthfully, we haven't had many issues. The biggest issue I think we had last year um, was springtime when, you know, like I said, I've been cursing that fence. Um, they got out the back fence and decided to, you know, travel all over Amanda, Ohio and, uh, we had to walk them back. So that was fun. That, that was a good time. But other than that, it's been <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's funny. It's always fun when the cows get out. Oh, my yes. Um, so what do you think in terms of um, food production on a small farm? What do you what do you think that looks like as far as small farms contributing to the overall uh, food supply. Like I, I see, I see you in a really nice little niche where you are providing embryos to other guys who grow things out. And maybe those are bigger, bigger outfits. Do you, or do you want to continue to expand so that you're going to finish them as well as be providing breeding stock? Yeah. So, I mean, our goal, um, our goal is to continue buying more property as this okay. goes on. Yeah. So, you know, we, we want to be, you know, a player at the table when, when, we're, when the time comes, um, this is just the start for us. I mean, that's the way we're looking at this. You know, we, we want to build this out. I think it's definitely, I mean, it's doable. I know guys all over this area who are, you know, they're feeding out their own cattle. A lot of these guys, though, they're, you know, growing their own corn, you know, and so that plays a major factor into it because we don't have the the land per se. Um, 
to run a decent number of cattle and plant. Um, it's just kind of, or, or the equipment, you know, so that's kind of out of the question for us. And with grain prices, we're kind of just rolling with the punches right now, you know, okay, well, if this isn't going to be the opportunity we thought it was, you know, let's put more of our focus into this, but eventually the plan is, yeah, I would love to have a feedlot here. Um, you know, to where we're feeding out several steers at a time, um, several head of steers. And, you know, I, I think that's very doable. So what about the people who don't like the idea of feedlot beef? They want all grass fed. What do you say to those people? I just, you know, I got to be careful how strongly I come off about this. Um, I just think, uh, you <laughs> know, hot you, topics, you know, these are hot topics, yeah, no, you know, they are. They are. If, if you want to eat a, a leather glove, that's mm -hmm. fine. You might as well eat a, a grass fed steak. Um, <laughs> you know, I just think people, people, there's this great misconception out there that grain fed isn't healthy. And, you know, when you, when you look into it, I mean, you're, the, the same principles that they're, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to me whatsoever. Um, you know, you're, you're feeding them corn. Well, that, you know, that there's no reason that that is an unhealthy aspect to what that cow's diet has been. Um, I just, I can't conceptualize it. The, the flavor difference is out of this world. There's, there's actually, there's no comparison. Um, and like I said earlier, you know, if, if you eat red meat every single day, three times a day, you're, you're not going to be a very healthy person. But, you know, you do this in moderation, you're going to want the healthiest thing out there. And when you look at the Wagyu beef, and like I said, with, with the omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids that develop in there, I mean, even the fat within those steaks is, you know, what you would consider healthy. So, um, yeah, you know, actually my neighbor said to me one time, you're not going to feed those cow, any of those cows out and make them make, make them fat. Are you? I said, well, what do you, what do you expect me to do? You just want, you want to eat some, something with, you know, bone, you know, little shriveled up and, you know, skinny things. Nobody wants that. You want something that's full of flavor. Um, and I, and you get that with Wagyu. You, you don't get that with the grass fed steaks. Now there are, there are, um, there's actually Japanese red cat Wagyu. Um, they're called Akiyushi and they actually do better on grass. Um, there's still some of that intramuscular marbling, but even those guys are feeding, you know, they're feeding grain as well. Um, that's just how you develop that, that marbling that you get in those, in those carcasses. So do you finish them fully in feedlots or do you let them graze during the day and then they come in for like a meal also? Um, we leave them out. So we, they have free choice hay okay. all day, every day. Um, and then as we collect from breweries, we'll, you know, we'll feed them in the evenings. Mm -hmm. um, but for the most part, they're out grazing and you know, like I said, have that. And then, and then we obviously also do the mineral and protein tubs. We, um, we purchase our, we purchase Vitafirm concept aid, uh, tubs just to help with, with the breeding process and all of that, uh, make sure that they're all intact as far as that goes. And, um, but yeah, we're, 
when when the time comes, when weaning time comes, and you know some of these little bull calves are steered, and and you know we separate them, they'll be on free choice hay, but then they'll also have you know they'll be grained daily. So this is all very interesting stuff about your cows. Um, I, I mean, I don't know much about cows at all. I live vicariously through a couple of my neighbors that have cows down the street, and my daughter <laughs> lives on a cattle farm with her partner. And so I've learned through lots and lots of cow stories, um, the things that they are capable of. So this is, this is all very interesting to me. Um, but I know that a lot of our listeners are also very interested in the, um, the human aspect. So um, I'd like to speak words of encouragement to people who are considering maybe doing something like this. You know, they do live in that apartment. They do live in suburbia. Um, they did not grow up around animals. What advice would you give to them if they're thinking about entering a farm life of yeah. whatever? Yeah, I, I mean, do do your research, know what you're getting into, because as soon as you bring animals into your care, you know, you have an obligation to take care of that animal, whether it's, to, you know, whether it's a puppy that's going to live for the next 16 years or a cow that you're planning to feed for two years and, you know, butcher. Um, but I would say, you know, so many people, my wife and I talk about this all the time. You see it on Facebook, you see it on social media. You know, I just, all these people say they just want to buy a little bit of land and live out in the middle of nowhere. And I would say, just go do it. You know, I mean, it's easier said than done. You got to, you know, get, get money together for a down payment and, Let's be honest, uh, acreage right now is insanely high. Um, but you know, if that's your goal, go after it. I mean, that's that's something that we have kind of set at the forefront of the way we're doing things. We're setting these small goals and then we're just going as hard as we can at them. You know, the plan is, like I said, to eventually buy up more land. There's not a thought in my head, my brother's heads, my parents, my wife's, that we're not going to have more property at some point. We just got to sell some more, sell some more cattle off. Um, so I would say, yeah, set those goals, figure out how you can attain those goals. Um, you know, what you want to do, you know, that's a big, that's going to be a big aspect in this. If you're thinking, I want to, you know, start, a small farm, start some kind of, you know, for us, it's like it's the meat business, you know, figure out way, how, how to get to the top of that. Um, you know, for me, it's been a lot of networking. I have networked with a lot of people. Like I said, I'm talking to people in the United States, Australia, and in the UK, um, because at the end of the day, I always want to be the one in the room who knows the least. Um, because if I'm in there, if I'm in there with a bunch of guys that know a lot more than I do, men and women, I talk to a lot of women in the UK who they are leading their, their ranch, their farm, um, Winford Wagyu. I talked to a lady from there and she's just incredible, um, at what she does. And so being, like I said, you know, I joke, but being the stupidest person in the room is kind of what I want to be. I, I want these people that I can learn from, you know, take it back to, to our small operation because, you know, we have room to build it out here. Uh, you know, with only, you know, these are people running hundreds of head of cattle. We, you know, we got less than 20 right now. So, 
you know, it, we can do it on a small scale. Um, so I would say, yeah, network, figure out what your plan is going to be, and then just go after it. So as part of your networking, do you actively seek out mentors? I do. I do. Yeah. Um, you know, I, several people who I, I just kind of get on the phone with guys, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll, they get random Facebook friend requests from me and, you know, it's uh, Hey man, I, I've seen that you're just killing it. Tell me about, you know, I want to know more about what it looks like when, you know, from the time that animal's born to the time you feed it out. I want to know what you're seeing, you know, in trends, all that stuff, because those guys are seeing it on such a grand scale. And for someone like me, you know, we can pick and choose almost what we want to do being on such a smaller scale. Neat. So do you feel like you've learned a lot from these other people that you've talked to or oh, yes. from like the, these, like this process has paid off. Is that what you're saying? It's, it's kind of to be successful faster. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, okay. uh, the, the, what we have just by, I mean, I talked to, three and four of these guys daily um, messaging back and forth. Hey, did you see this? Did you see this? Most of the time it's me going, no, I don't have a clue. No, I, I, you know, I didn't see that. And so it's constantly learning, constantly seeing, you know, what people want to, you know, uh, there's a lot of times, you know, someone will post something and say, you know, I want $8,000 for this animal. And it's, me messaging that, you know, the other guys that I talked to and saying, I don't think this animal's worth $8,000. And they're saying no, because of this, 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 and this it's, you know, you know, so getting an idea of that has been very interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, the guy that we're purchasing our cow from in New Hampshire, he's, like I said, he's an industry leader. Um, there's a guy out of Kentucky who's fantastic, several in Texas. Um, I talked to a lady in um, Northern California, She's incredible. Um, and then my buddy here in Ohio. So, you know, we have, there, there's a good networking group and it, it's been very neat too, because you'll find as you reach out to these people, they want to help. Um, and that's been so great for me. You know, you, I have not once gotten a guy who, uh, you know, who says, you know, figure it out yourself. So that's been exciting. So are these all people who have a presence on social media? Do you feel like that's a marker for that um, openness to collaborative exchange of ideas? Absolutely. Yeah. Most of the business we do is on Facebook. Um, yeah. So we're in several of the Wagyu breeder groups um, on, on those Facebook pages. And then, you know, like I said, I've got these guys, you know, their personal accounts. But I mean, it's so it, it, you you think you just don't realize how big it is, I guess I should say, um, because, you know, I'll be talking to a guy from New Hampshire and he'll put me in contact with a guy in Iowa who puts me in contact with a guy in South Africa. And, you know, so I'm on there, you know, it's, it's worldwide. And, you know, I, I guess you say what you want about social media. There's a lot of bad things about it, but this has been one that's, you know, allowed us to see a lot of positives out of it. That's so cool. So are these other people that you're connected with on this, this network of Wagyu guys, are they also new to the cattle industry or are they generational farmers? What, what is, what is that? What does this group look like? 
typically these are generational guys. These are guys that, but what, what we find a lot of is they're guys who started off with Angus or Herefords. Um, there's, there's a big group in Pennsylvania um, and they started with dairy cattle. And they were introduced, all these people over time were introduced to Wagyu and all of them have flipped because it's just, I, I, I truly believe it when I say that it's the next big thing in the United States as far as Canada. So why has the world been all crazy for Angus? Is this just a, well, you tell me, what do, what do you, everyone, I mean, oh, it's Angus, it's Angus beef and that's going to be an extra $3 a pound in the grocery store. So, you know, forever ago, you've heard of the Four Sixes Ranch in Texas. Yeah, uh, you're in Yellowstone. The, yeah, right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the, <laughs> Never yeah. heard of them until Yellowstone. Just a lot of people have. Right? <laughs> if you talk to some horse people, they'll, they'll, they'll be like, oh, yeah, Four Sixes. But the Sixes, they only ran Herefords for the longest time. And then there was this new fad of black cattle in the United States, and they essentially sold off and got rid of all their Herefords. And it was just a, well, if it's, if it's got a black hide on it, it, it's a better quality beef. And that's just been a thing. And you'll, you'll hear, I mean, guys talk about it. You don't, unless it says Angus on the packaging, you don't know if that came from Hereford, Angus, Charlay, what it is. It was a beef cow or, you know, steer. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people were big into Angus. And and I will say this too, the Angus um, breed drives a lot of Wagyu in a way. A lot of guys are finding, and that's similar to what we're doing, you know, they're purchasing Wagyu bulls and breeding them to these Angus. And a lot of times Wagyu have a, are, are typically smaller in stature than some of these Angus are. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, you know, they have that dis- that genetic disposition for marbling. So what you get is a big Angus steak, right, with much better marbling because of the bull's influence on that on that cow. So, um, yeah, that I, that really was it. It was hey, this for some reason everybody decided that if it had a black hide, it was it tasted better and it was better, and that's kind of just how the, how the cards played out. So if you, I, I heard at one point that the success of Angus in the United States has been completely due to the marketing ability of the Angus breed organization. I mean, to the point where you can have something that is labeled as Angus beef and it, it isn't a black Angus. It doesn't even look like Angus. So with that in mind, and this is not, I'm not meaning, meaning to disparage anyone who's all like, yay, Angus, right? That, that's, that's not, that's not my, that's not my thrust here of this question. But um, my question is, what stops, I shouldn't say what's, what, is, is there a concern where you have this superior level of Wagyu genetics and traits mixed with just an influence of Wagyu in, injected into these other larger breeds, and then they can claim Wagyu beef, and suddenly they're producing it lower price. You're undercut. You're playing catch up. I mean, maybe I'm looking way down on the road and catastrophizing a bit, but there has to be like some sort of thought and conversation going on around this. 
Yeah, a little bit. Um, not as much as you would think. You know, it's it's more of you know a lot of these guys just want to produce, like I said, produce a better produce a better brand of beef. Mm-hmm. So you know, there's more focus there, but. That also, like I said, kind of aligns with, you know, trying to get some kind of regulation on, okay, this is a fifth, this has 15% of Wagyu in it, or it has 50 or 70. Wow. Um, like, a grading, so yeah. like a grading scale? Right, yeah, because okay. like, you know, I, I I can tell you right now, some of these stores that are, that are marketing Wagyu, okay, here's one, Arby's. Arby's has the Wagyu burger out right now. What? Yes, they they all all over the place. Wagyu burger, Wagyu burger. Okay. Well, I know the guy. I know a guy in Kansas who is um, a big beef producer, and he's friends with the guy who sells the white the Wagyu burger beef to Arby's. Okay. And he said, I I, I was talking to him recently, and he's a great businessman, and he said. Um, these are 10 to 15% Wagyu. They're, the rest of it is whatever else, you know, whatever else beef that they're crossed with. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there needs to be some kind of, I don't know what the word is, some kind of limitation on how you can market that. It, and, you know, we're not here to pull the wool over anyone's eyes. If we're selling 50-50, we're going to tell you this is a this is an F1. This is 50% Wagyu. You're going to still have Angus influence in there. But we believe that, you know, we, we purchased this bull for a reason because we think that he's going to give you a better, you know, final stake in, in the end. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So where do you see Wagyu's growth happening in the United States in the next 10 years or so? I think it's growing. I mean, it's growing exponentially. Um, I was talking to, I was talking to one of my buddies who was telling me, you know, he's got a feedlot or his friend has a feedlot down in Texas that holds some 30,000 head of cattle, beef cattle. And he said about five years ago, they had a really small pen <laughs> at this feedlot off to the side where guys would bring their Wagyu cattle. Mm-hmm. And now, five years later, of that 30,000, half are Wagyu. Ooh. So it's really, it is really growing. I mean, I think people, it's one of those things that it's, it's taken time. And it's new. Like I said, it's, bulls got here 47 years ago. Mm-hmm. And after 1998, Japan said, we have a really good thing here. We don't want to send it to you anymore. So, you know, we can't get genetics from Japan. Um, so people are starting to learn more about it and they're learning where, you know, is, is it an investment up front? Absolutely. Um, you know, you, when, when you say, yeah, I mean, I spent eight, 10, $12,000 on a bull, but if you're a massive beef producer, you're going to make that back in a few carcasses and then it it's paid for itself, you know? So I think as time is going on, people are learning more about it. They're seeing it more. They're seeing it in restaurants. You know, why is this thing? This is why you, why is this steak $86, you know? And so, I mean, that's one, one of the things that we did um, for my, for my parents for their Christmas, my wife and I took them to a Wagyu steakhouse. And I mean, they have steaks on there from $86 to $175. I can't justify eating a hundred, you know, $175 steak, but you know, 
it's out there and, and there is a demand for it because, you know, they're able to put that price on there for a premier cut of beef. Um, you know, we were sitting there going, do we want to spend that kind of money or we could just breed it ourselves you know, and have it, uh, have it in a couple of years. So, um, but it's, uh, it's catching on. And I think you're going to see a lot more of it, like you said, in the next 10 years, um, mm -hmm. because people are, people are always wanting something better. And, uh, you know, this is something better. That is really interesting. So you guys eat your own Wagyu in your home? We will be. Yeah. So we, so our, we're looking at about, uh, we're, we're still 18 to 20 months out from the first one. So we have a while. Oh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I know it. I know we're, don't worry. We're counting down the days. <laughs> so have you gotten Wagyu from some of your local friends? Have you been able to actually purchase yeah. some of their meat and try it out? Yeah. yeah I mean, and this will, this will kind of tell you, you know, from, from my perspective, at least when we purchased our bull from my friend in, in Ohio, up in Ashland, Ohio, mm -hmm. um, he said, he said, we just fed out a, a steer. He said, I've got a few steaks left over if you want them. And truth be told, I don't even know what cut of steaks they were. Um, he said, I'm going to be honest with you. It's probably not that great because it's, it's the worst cut that you, you know, uh, it's just not going to be great. Mm -hmm. We cooked that thing up. And it was the best steak I had ever had just because all of that. I mean, we joked, we were like, we kind of want to sit here and eat the fat on it because it just melted in your mouth as gross as that sounds. Um, it, it was delicious. So, you know, when we had that and, you know, like I said, we, we went out for, for Christmas and, and had it cooked, you know, professionally. Um, yeah, we were sold. We were like, Oh my gosh, this is, just it's second to none so it really does live up to the hype it doesn't just look i mean it sounds like it's nutritionally different it looks yeah. different it feels different and it tastes different also absolutely yeah we um we, when we first cut into it your knife goes straight to the bottom i mean wow. there's no i mean it, it's incredibly buttery um and yeah i mean it it really is the taste is it's it's just delicious. I could talk about it all day. <laughs> wow. So um, how do you, what is your favorite way to cook a steak since you're a cattleman? What is your favorite I'm, way to cook a steak? I, I mean, I, I go, I'm pretty rare. Uh, medium okay. rare. I mean, I, I stay on the rare side. My dad, not so much. My wife, so my wife, um, she grew up never eating steak. Oh. So, yeah, so this was a whole new venture to her, but she 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 likes it medium rare now, I think, just because I've cooked it so many times that she just, you know, that's what she's used to. But, um, yeah, I, uh, I I like a good tenderloin. I'm I'm all about the filet mignon and you just can't beat it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough to beat a good it's tough to beat a good filet. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Many years ago, I watched some Alton Brown recipe um, video. Um, I don't know if you're an Alton Brown fan, anybody out yeah. there. I'm a science nerd. And so this really appealed to me because I'm a foodie and a science nerd. So this is my little Venn diagram of perfect convergence in my mind. If you're right. Truth be known. So he had this whole big, long cryovac. And after I watched that episode, I have never gone back and like purchase filet separate. Now I get the whole wine and then I'll that's the way to do it up and then 
break it down and I make sure that I've got, you know, that my, my fillets are three fingers wide, like they're really thick and there is nothing like it. Um, but I have learned in the past couple of years to sous vide them. I sous vide them first yeah. until they're, I think I sous vide them to, I want to say 120. Okay. And then I pan sear them super roaring hot pan on um, gas stove yep. and uh, cast iron. Yep. That's how we do it. And then I will very quickly stick it in the oven, like without any heat, just like put it in the oven and let it sit there. And it's like brown crispy and all the rest is perfectly rare to medium rare. I love that. Like, oh yeah. Inside. So that's, that's my recipe. And I only, I only, I only season it with just kosher salt. That's all I do. Yep. And it's, it's just amazing. Yep. We throw some butter on top of it, let it sink mm -hmm. in a little bit. But other than that, that's just about what we do. We, yep. you guys over, oh, yep. Over the gas, gas stove and all that. I mean, it, once you do it that way, there, you don't I, go back. There you go. <laughs> I know it's it's such a funny thing. I never grew up with uh, boiling anything in a bag, right? So it, right. It's, it's it's a very different way of cooking. But oh, things you can yeah. do with beef. So that is very interesting. I'm gonna have to try some some wagyu. No. You will. It really is. It's totally different from from any steak you've had. It's <laughs> you know we kept hearing that and kept hearing that, and I just kept thinking it can't be. It really can't be that different. And it, it was, I mean, it was delicious and it's very filling because you do have all that, that intermuscular fat. So, I mean, yeah. it is, it's a heavier steak and, and you fill up a lot quicker, but um, you won't regret it. I'll tell you that you won't regret it. Hmm. Well, so if someone wants to try Wagyu and they don't want to spend 180 to $200 for a steak, how would they go about finding some, some Wagyu, connect with a local farmer and uh, finding some Wagyu that they can try out without breaking the bank? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, we, we market everything on our Facebook page, um, Bookman Brothers Cattle Company, LLC. Um, yeah. You know, you can they email me personally um i mean we're we're open 24 7 for anybody who wants you know who, who's interested but you know i mean there's there are websites everywhere on the american wagyu association um the australian wagyu association both of them um promote different different companies that, that sell their beef um a lot of the genetics we use come from um, Myura Station in Australia, and they produce the best Wagyu cut you ever see. Art. Um, so you know that that would be my. Uh, I would say check them out, or you know, hey, drive down the road, come come see us, and uh, and we can hook you up. <laughs> if you're in Central Ohio, that's the place to go. Is um, Bookman Cattle. Yep. Okay. So what are your plans in the next five, 10, 15 years besides expanding and finishing your fence? Yeah. You know, we're going to, like you said, we'll expand, you know, we want to, we want to get to a point where we can afford to steer out full blood um, calves. Okay. That, that means, you know, we're going to have to get to a place where we have multiple heifers that are reliable flush heifers, um, you know, that you get applicable OO sites off of each time you flush and you can get, you know, 10, 15, 18 embryos out of. 
Um, once you're starting, you know, moving, moving through those a little bit easier and, and getting pregnancies, um, you know, that's when things kind of kick up. Um, you know, we'll sell bull calves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of people can, they can afford to sell them young and still make good money. Um, we are currently in the process. Um, we're building out a pen system where we're actually selling um, pregnant Angus heifers, pregnant Angus cows. Um, so we're AIing them um, and then confirming them pregnant at about 30 days and then selling groups to different people um, just so people, because people want Wagyu. So, you know, we have a buyer down in Parkersburg, West Virginia, um, who was here recently. We sold a few to him. We have, we've had several people um, throughout central Ohio, up into Cleveland, um, so, you know, that's that's the plan to kind of start making some money there. We'll, all of that to say, we'll hold back some of our full blood bulls, um, you know, depending on what we want to sell and what we don't want to sell. We'll use them as well um, to breed to some of these Angus to sell, you know, pregnant heifers. Um, no, go ahead. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. So and. and like I said, with Australia coming out with the um, with their EBV system, it allows us to kind of see what that what that bull, what that cow is going to look like on paper. Um, there's a whole grading system. It's you know from gestation length, 200 day weight to 600 day weight, mature cow weight, marble score, all that stuff. And so we'll we'll pick and choose what we sell. Um, you know, we'll probably hold back some. Um, just depending on, you know, what the plan is at that time. But eventually we want to get to the point where, you know, we're putting embryos in, heifer recips, um, getting some full blood calves out of that, and then eventually getting to the point where we can sell full blood beef and not, you know, not hurt the hurt our wallets per se, you know, and look back and say, well, we could have made a quick, you know, anywhere four to $8,000 on a calf selling it as a bull. So. Mm. Wow, this is just amazing. Thank so you. If you were, if you were to kind of um, finish up with some of your thoughts when it comes to Wagyu beef and people who might be thinking about getting into farming, or if they're looking to, again, live like one of these type of dual lives where you're, where you've got off farm income and then you're also looking to do some cattle on the side, um, what advice would you give them? Yeah, I mean, I w- I would just say, you know make a plan for it because it is a financial investment up front. It, I mean, don't let me sound like it, you know, we haven't had to kind of alter our lives in a way to, you know, support this, but um, we decided we wanted to do this. We formed a plan. We, we set the goals. Um, I mean, you need to understand that it becomes a, it becomes a new bill in your house. You know, you're going to, money's going to be, have to go to that. If you can get through that piece of it, um, I think you'll love it. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm so grateful. I've had the opportunity to do this. It's become, you know, I have my job, but this is my passion. Um, and, you know, we decided we wanted to produce the best. Um, like I said, the whole quality over quantity thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I think if, you know, my, my grandpa told me my whole life to figure out my dad to figure out what you love and then figure out how to make money doing what you love. Mm-hmm. And that's 
I, I feel like I'm living that now. Uh, you know, I'm, I, uh, I'll turn 29 this year. And I think that, you know, it may, it might've taken me 27 years to figure that out, 26 years, but um, I feel like I'm finally doing what I love. So if this is, you know, I would say if this is your passion, you know, figure out a plan for it and then just go after it. I mean, you know, there's going to be obstacles we faced, we've faced a lot of obstacles. There've been times money gets tight, but you figure it out. And, uh, you know, we're, we're very proud of what we're, what we're building here and, and the direction that we're going. Um, so we're, we're hopeful that, you know, in five to 10 years that this is a household name in the wide view industry. Well, it sounds like you're going to be very successful. You certainly are a very gregarious farmer uh, compared to other uh, conventional cattle farmers I've met, they're busy doing their farm thing, and they certainly aren't interested in doing uh, social media or mentoring or pairing up with other people so much. So it sounds like you've got your finger right on the pulse of success, and it sounds like you're going to be very successful at this. Um, Thank you. You you also just not if I may from an outside observer, you have a producer's mindset. You talk about the quality. You talk about the you know you you, you talk about what you want to produce for the people who want to consume this and why. And that's a really important piece of the value proposition. And, and I want people listening to this to, you know, think about this if, if you're going into farming. I didn't grow up in a farming community or a farming family. Um, and the, the for me, the drive to produce food was something that it was hard to kind of quantify, but after I started doing it, I realized it was very much production oriented. And what I'm hearing from you is very much production oriented. Absolutely. Uh, and I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I agree. You know, if you're going to do it, take the very best out of it and, and give, you know, give your consumers a good, good end product. I mean, that's, you know, word of mouth, works and so you know you, you know you if they have a good experience with you they're more than likely gonna you know come back to you and so that's we, we just want to produce the best and you know I, I think we're pretty good down to earth group to to work with so um we're I, I appreciate you saying that we're excited for the direction it's going well I'm going to continue to look for Wagyu beef in every store that I can uh that I where and in time anytime I'm at a nice gourmet store I should say and in the meantime, I'm going to have to find somewhere to actually buy some and try it out. So absolutely, team up with you after we're done here and see, figure out what you can uh, recommend for me. So how can people follow you and support you on social media and your website? Go ahead. Okay. Yep. So um, our Facebook page is Bookman Brothers Cattle Company, LLC. Um, you can follow us on Instagram. I, I believe it's Book at Bookman Bros, um, or you can email us directly if you have any questions, bookmanbros at gmail.com. Um, and that's probably the best way to get a hold of us. We're always selling genetics. We're always, you know, looking for um, reset people who are interested in um, potentially allowing us to put embryos in their cows and, and we pay them for that. And so, um, you know, or if you just like seeing pictures of cute calves, we have a lot of those too. So uh, <laughs> we uh, we're we're all for it. We appreciate all the support we can get, and uh, and just you know, thank you. All right. Well, thank you very much, Patrick. It's been super fun. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you, Judith. I appreciate you having me on. All right.